Welcome to the Qualitex Podcast. I'm Ian Kugler, your host, and this is the second part of my talk with Matthew Lancaster. Matthew is Head of Quality and Regulatory Pharma Recruitment at EPM Scientific. In this episode, Matthew will continue to demystify the world of headhunting in the pharmaceutical industry. He will also share valuable information for graduates and experts on how to increase their chances while looking for new challenges. You will also learn the answers to intriguing questions such as is it better to stay at one company for many years or instead switch often. So let's get right to it. And you mentioned some um, key uh, professions in, in the pharma. So do you find it it's the same for each country or uh, it's, it deviates from country to country and each country has uh, maybe its yeah. own focus point? For example, uh, Germany, UK. So what are the most... Um, Uh, most interesting uh, profession there uh, in the pharma. If people also want to relocate when they say, okay, I cannot find a job in Germany, maybe I'll go to UK, maybe I'll go to France. So even before the global pandemic, that was a difficult and complex question to ask. Depending on your profession, that may restrict a barrier to entry for a particular profession in a country. One thing that is easier is the EU Schengen Agreement and you know, the free movement of labor. But even so, just to say that you can go and live and work there doesn't necessarily mean that you may qualify. For example, in Germany, to be a qualified person and to release products, you have to be a German speaker and you have to have a German university degree. That's clear. Is it, is it so? From my understanding, that has always been the case. That you have to have a German university degree. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty and you have to be German. Okay, because I think I read something else uh, 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 about it that actually, if you are already a qualified person in a different country, it uh, should be also viable in, in Germany. So, in any other EU country, if you're a registered EU mm. QP, yeah. you can technically be a QP in any other EU nation. And I was always under that impression, but from working in Germany and with Germans and speaking okay. to German then you see the reality that it may be different, maybe not because of the laws, but maybe on the requirements of the German companies. It, I, so from from my understanding, now I could be wrong, but from my understanding and from the way I've worked for years on QPs, particularly because that's what I've always focused on, I've always been under the impression that that is the rule. And that has always been one of the challenges of getting QPs in Germany for QP jobs, because there is not enough QPs in Germany to fill the QP jobs. Now, whether they are relaxing the laws in Germany to allow Europeans who are non-German speakers or maybe German speakers, but don't come from Germany or don't have a German university degree, that may be the case and I need to do a bit more research on that. But from my understanding, the majority of the requirements due to Annex 13, 14, 15 or AMG, you have to be a German speaker with a German university degree, but you can also be an Austrian. So there is still some confusion around that because one of the issues in Germany is that you, you can't get any German QPs. So maybe the law is changing. I'll have to double check on that. But that has always been something that I've always found particularly challenging. Mm-hmm. So uh, so um, there is a shortage of QPs in Germany, as far as you know Absolutely. right now? Only Absolutely. in Germany? Or is it the same like with doctors all over the world? Same everywhere. It is the same everywhere because... I focus on QPs, so I've always mm-hmm. networked with QPs, and there's a shortage of QPs everywhere. So if I have a network of QPs and I am able to find them the right job, or, or if I go to a particular company and say I have a network of QPs, they're 99% of the time they're interested mm-hmm. because again going back to the life science industry because it's doing so well and the requirements for a qp to be on site or to release batches per um i think it's on the the, the number of, of volume the volume being sold or released from that site 
a lot of companies need more QPs. Mm-hmm. And if you think of biotech and they become much more specialized, that list is even shorter still. Mm-hmm. So it's a good uh, career choice uh, from everybody who is right now in the crossroad and thinks, uh, what should I do? Go to quality and uh, maybe think about QPs because uh, you will get the job, at least right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you're a QP, you have much more pulling power financially mm-hmm. as well because of the, well, the risk that is involved. Yeah. Because if you, if you sign off a batch and it kills someone yeah. or there's a serious breach of health regulations, you're liable to go to prison. You know, that is why a QP was created. But more than that, the, the salary reflects that risk. But also the, the demand for the QPs as well means companies are much more open to negotiating salaries at a different level. As well as if you're looking to become you know, quality head, VP, senior level, having a QP qualification is always beneficial. And it is more of a fast track to that position as well. That I have seen now I'm not saying that you have to be a QP to be a quality head or to be a senior member in a leadership team but if you are a QP and you have a QP qualification that will always take preference in the, my experience than a candidate who hasn't now you don't have to be releasing a QP but the fact that you have that option if you want to have a QP You don't then have to hire a QP. You have someone that you can just put on the EU register. But it also shows that that person is able to make difficult decisions. Because if a QP refuses to sign off a batch, that could be tens of millions lost. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. And a lot you, of responsibility. So you need to balance um, the, uh, the yeah. politics inside the companies and yeah. uh, with uh, the safety of the consumer. And if you can show that, that is also valuable to a lot of companies in, in leadership positions because there's a lot maybe a lot of difficult decisions. But also you can understand different technical experiences or really hard situations that many people may not have experienced before mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's the magic qualification, but it does carry it a doors. heavy weight. Mm-hmm. It does, absolutely. But in my opinion, people may disagree, but in my opinion, in the recruitment that I've done, that has been my personal view, my personal experience mm-hmm. on the recruitment. Yeah. I guess it, does, it, it cannot hurt, even if you don't work in a QP role, but you're qualified as a QP, you can much easily get to some positions where... Uh, leadership role is required and the uh, decision making uh, role is required so what's uh, also interesting um, so we talked okay the QP is a good uh, uh, direction and uh, I know that uh, generally getting right now into pharma at least in Germany and I uh, also uh, know it from uh, from uh, uh, forums and from other graduates so I Yeah. I was lucky when I graduated with a master's degree, I already had uh, experience from a pharma industry because what I did, and I think it was smart, after I finished my bachelor's degree, I went working, I went to pharma into, uh, into quality control as an analyst. Yeah. Then I continued with uh, my master's degree. But as I see the situation now, people who go directly uh, to a master's degree or a PhD degree, they have so much difficulties landing a job. And I uh, also get sometimes some, because I'm doing all those videos and uh, people uh, start uh, um, uh, finding me uh, through some uh, student colleges and so far. So they ask me how... Can I uh, get a job right now from the university? So I, get, uh, I got a master's degree in biotech or biology, and they just stuck. They, they uh, try yeah. for a year or two. They just cannot land a job. So I don't know if it's all over the Europe, but I think in, G- in Germany the problem is uh, quite harsh because they, uh, there is this problem of overqualification. So uh, from one side, you don't have enough experience to work in GP yeah. environments, but you're overqualified to work in a lab, for example. Yeah. 
So how, how do you overcome it? Okay, okay, what, what would you suggest as a recruiter? Uh, what should such people uh, do? Yeah. So th this is where the paradox of the industry comes into because there are jobs, but not enough people to fill them. And then there are a lot of people who need jobs, but they don't have the right experience to get into the industry. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Very difficult to break into. Personally, I've never worked at graduate level. So I don't think it would be fair for me to comment so much on advice because I, I, I haven't experienced that. I wouldn't know how to answer that question as effectively as possible for that person who is struggling with those things to take seriously. One thing that I could advise is from just a professional point of view is to be willing to consider opportunities outside of your local area. Now, I know that might sound difficult because you have families and you have... But at least shortly, right? So for a year or two... But, but if, if, if it means you get the experience, it's like when you go to 100 years ago, and this is a, <laughs> a bit of a tangent, but it's still relative. If you think about the Industrial Revolution in England and the development of urban areas, mm -hmm. those things developed because people had to move from rural areas to urban areas to, to get the job, to find work. You know, you, it's the old mm -hmm. proverb of is that you go where the work is. And I think that hasn't changed to some extent. If you're struggling to get something locally or if there is still challenges and barriers to entry, we have at our disposal all the technologies to hand, which means we're more connected than ever, but have been never further apart. So what we can also do with the EU and the Schengen Agreement is going to the Netherlands. You can cross an invisible border to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's much more physical at the moment with global pandemic, but you know that's a different topic. But in theory, you can go to the Netherlands, Belgium, France, Spain, Italy, wherever, and work. It might mm -hmm. be difficult, and it is a personal choice, but if it means you get that experience for the rest of your career, you're going to reflect on that time and think, I'm glad I did that. Because not only do you also get to get the experience of the industry, but you may also experience a different culture. You may also feel that, that, you, loved, that you loved it there. And it gives you a broader perspective. Mm -hmm. So, so one what, thing... That... So I just wanted to ask, what countries are more open for people with different... Um, graduation uh, levels so for example in germany you c if you have a phd you cannot uh, do a uh, low level uh, jobs because there's like uh, the pay grades and uh, it's quite a i think it's um, quite strict here and uh, quite old fashioned yeah. here in this uh, regard in um, in many industry industries especially the the bigger companies that exist uh, for a, lo a really long time. So they believe, okay, if you have a PhD, it means uh, you're, yeah. you can easily become a manager and uh, you don't have to uh, go up uh, this, uh, the scale to start for the bottom, uh, for example, what's uh, completely yeah. different in the USA, for example, that you just you start from the bottom and you, get, you go up. So it's uh, from the worse and the better, it's different. So if people, uh, for example did this and they um, achieved the higher degree that allows them to enter easily to the pharmaceutical yeah. industry what countries are uh, easier to start which you don't care if you have a master's degree bachelor's degree will they will still put you in the lab or put you on the ground in the manufacturing yeah. the, the netherlands, the is, netherlands. A, is a fantastic example of that you don't even need to have a degree to work in the pharmaceutical industry. But the question, industry. if you have a degree, would they say, okay, no, you're overqualified? So sometimes this is the problem, the overqualification. It, it depends. I mean, each, I can't say that the Netherlands is the answer. And if everyone who's overqualified or if everyone has a PhD will get a job in the Netherlands. But in the Netherlands, all I can comment on is that 
you can work in the pharmaceutical industry in the Netherlands without a university degree. Mm -hmm. They have something called a HBO, which means you've gone to a, a further education and got practical experience. It may limit your it may limit the the development of your career to a manager level mm -hmm. or a senior level but it doesn't stop you from working in an entry level mm -hmm. for example and sometimes this is the most important uh, part to get the the first experience to put the foot inside to learn about gmp a bit so you get the ground rules and then you can come back to your country or move to another country and say okay i did it yeah and i think that frustratingly enough at the moment that that's going to be a change in attitudes that will slowly develop it's not going to help people immediately now who need help but people also need to be be advised is to not lose faith mm -hmm. if you get rejected once don't take it personally don't be downhearted apply for everything that's relevant and anything that you believe you're relevant for because someone will want your experience. Someone will see value. And that could still be in Germany. It could be in the Netherlands. It could be in Italy. It could be in Switzerland. It could be in Austria. If you're open to working in the industry and you're open to working anywhere that could give you that opportunity, then it's only going to be beneficial for each person. But don't limit yourselves. One area that I would think is a really good area to focus on for graduates is contract manufacturers. They are exploding at the minute. And the global pandemic has also shown the need for big pharma companies to use them. Another one is CROs. You know, you may not directly be working for Pfizer or Novartis, but if you work for a global contract manufacturer like Lonza, Catalan, Thermo Fisher, Resifarm, CROs like PRA Health Sciences, for example, Parexcel, those are the kind of mm -hmm. companies that are also hiring people who have masters and PhDs because you have to be at an educational level where you can explain to customers how it works. So that could also be a really good option for people who are struggling to look at. And there are fantastic websites that I'd be happy to share with you after, Jan, an yeah, email if you, if you have people mm -hmm. that list all the different companies that you could mm -hmm. contact, all the different CROs in Germany alone, which is an interactive map. It does take time and investment. And there will be some agencies who could help you, but... The majority of those agencies are graduate level and they, and they have job boards. If you're relevant, they'll interview you, but they won't proactively network for you. But if you, if you do do it upon yourself, you take control of that yourself mm -hmm. and you contact these different people and you just send your CV to HR, someone, somewhere will see value in that and will want to interview you. Mm -hmm. So I would probably advise CMOs and CROs. It's a mm -hmm. really great... Mm -hmm focus area yeah that's a good start because it's more there are many of them you can uh, probably find some uh, maybe low level jobs where you can uh, learn and build yourself into the, the this area and uh, what's interesting you um, so you go with the candidate uh, throughout the process right so the question is when a candidate doesn't get the job uh, do you know the reason why do they uh, share it with you the companies so, yeah, they should do. We we always strive for feedback, and we yeah. always pass that back. So on it's to the uh, interesting. Most of the, if you if you could say, I don't know if you just as a rule of thumb, most of the uh, people fail to get to land the job because of some technical skills or some soft skills, or uh, maybe uh, they're not prepared uh, for the interview, or maybe yep. they worked in some company uh, too long and they just forgot how to do it. So, what's the main cause of failure? I would say the main cause of failure is usually a difference in culture because people like to work with people. And even though you're technically good, if you don't 
show that you want to work there and that you've fully researched their culture, their values. And if you don't assimilate with those values, it's very difficult to convince people that you're the right candidate, regardless if you have the best technical skills. What I always advise is with, with my clients, if you have a, if you have two candidates, one candidate who is, I use that word perfect for the job. Okay. Say if they're perfect for the job. I know my comments earlier, but just run with me. They're perfect for the job. And you have candidate B, who may have less years of experience, but has all of the background and the educational level. Candidate A is a bit aloof, is a bit disengaged in the process. And you have candidate B, who has showcased, you know, very strongly their emotional reasons for wanting to join the company and how they can develop. Logically, candidate A would be a better candidate because technically they can do the job better, technically. But one could argue, but because the other candidate is more engaged culturally, they will be much more efficient in the job. Technically, you can, you can develop someone technically. It's very difficult to engage someone and motivate them if they do not want to work there. Mm -hmm. So I think here also comes uh, the maybe the EQ, the engagement with the, the people on the on the personal level, uh, because uh, I think also today people want to work uh, with uh, people who are uh, similar to them and uh, with the culture, and they don't want conflicts. I would disagree on that comment. Okay. Um, because if you're a strong leader and if you can recognize that your team needs to develop, I use a football analogy. Mm -hmm. You can't have a team of Ronaldo's. A team of Ronaldo's are not going to win a game. Mm -hmm. You need a team of 11 people with different strengths for a unit. So, Another thing that to consult that we have with clients is that even though they have a different personality, it doesn't mean that they can't do that job as effective. Mm -hmm. But their motivations to want to work there should be as strong. Now, their motivations to want to work there may be completely different to someone else, but it should still be logical. And mm -hmm. to them, as long as they are coming across as some, someone who is either passionate or logical and that the decision for them means that they will add value or that they will benefit from accepting this job than any other, that's still as strong. Because if you have people who are as like-minded, then one could argue that jobs may never get done. Mm. But if you have someone who is particularly good at one thing but is more introverted, it's just a different platform for managers to recognize and for get the best out of the different people. Mm -hmm. So we can't differentiate between different personalities because it, what, one thing is clear, someone who is extroverted and someone who is introverted doesn't make them any less capable. It just means how they engage with different people. But identifying what their strengths are and how they can add to the unit is much more beneficial. Mm -hmm. If they're more the difficulty actually to, that, uh, to find because I yes. think there is it's also the bias and I think that's uh, also why why it's really important to have um, the conversation different types of people maybe someone who is not the direct manager because I think the bias is where people still uh, unknowingly look for someone who they will like to work with even if yes. they're not the best uh, for the job. And you say, okay, I'm an introvert. I would prefer somebody who is uh, uh, maybe a bit quieter, maybe who listens more, to, talks less. But maybe for this specific job, you need someone who uh, um, louder, who uh, really engaged and goes in a, and likes to uh, uh, to work in a big communities and uh, be a presenter and so on. Yeah, and I think anything that's one part of why we call ourselves consultants as well because we're not just here to help advise the candidates we're here to help to advise the, the clients as well because yes there are cases where you know bias or a feedback can be given that we may not agree with that we think is misjudged 
it's not to say that you know we're right and what we say is gospel but from an objective point of view if we can recognize what you've just mentioned you can't decide whether that candidate is right for the job or not if you don't believe that that person's personality isn't good enough because that would be unfair to that person yes you may have biases and yes you may have preferences but it's like saying well i want to hire a man over a woman yeah you can't do that anymore you know you can't do that anymore and you know there is a debate among the recruitment industry um well and, and talent acquisition further that you have blind applications and that you can't make a judgment on an application on someone's name for example because that has already a preconditioned bias yeah. of Although what that statistically name it still happens because Abs exactly you read it and yeah. you see also a lot of statistics also in germany that say if the person has a, a middle eastern name they're less likely to be invited so it still exactly. happens and uh, although we're trying to be politically correct but it still slips in and and i think it's healthy to have that debate and to have that conversation because people don't do it knowingly people don't do it out of any kind of malice or any kind of you know resentment or i don't believe through racism either mm -hmm. but it is an issue mm -hmm. and you have to recognize it's an issue and i think it's interesting that some people are even calling for you know there to be the recruitment industry to be ai and that mm -hmm. artificial and intelligence that doesn't do see the names it just uh, calculates uh, the numbers And, and matches it on that and, yeah. and that is a completely and I think, uh, isn't that, that that uh, many big companies actually have this that they um in uh, they have some automation that calculates the keywords or something like this i think that what they would probably have is a a scanner just to tell you how many times a keyword comes up mm. because another thing that we also have to navigate through is that you would you would think logically that hiring managers who has a cv <coughs> from yourself Jan let's use you as an example if I was to introduce you to a, a manufacturing facility for a QA manager in a GMP area now you are a GMP expert correct mm -hmm. now say on your CV it would to say all of the companies that you would work for that you would know logically looking at a CV you would know that person would come from GMP yeah mm -hmm. but if you were to put that through the scanner and yet GMP was not recognized or stated or anywhere on your CV and is not picked up, you would not be picked yeah. because the keyword is not there. Yeah. So, so that's a, it's a, such a problem right now. It and is. It may be also people, um, like uh, it's the same as SEO with websites. So people is, uh, stop doing a real good uh, content and they just think about uh, let's... Uh, Uh, put more keywords only that uh, we just uh, pop out in the in the search and i think it uh, also starts to be uh, like that in the uh, in the recruiting area and um, i think uh, you read about it in many books right now and I remember it from years ago when i uh, looked for uh, uh, for job uh, for a job here in europe and in many places mentions uh, many companies have those automated tools you need to take the keywords from the uh, uh, from the job from uh, the job description and you need to use as many um, as uh, as you yeah. can it's ridiculous so it would pop yeah. up in the system yeah yeah and and you may miss out on a job because you wouldn't know that and you would assume that you would be chosen because you you can identify that your skills is what they're looking for but the computer wouldn't pick it up and hiring managers sometimes reject candidates that i have submitted because they haven't looked at cvs properly said oh well these candidates don't have they're not from a gmp background what do you mean They're, they've worked for all these different manufacturing companies in pharma i don't understand your feedback i need you to have another look and then they have another look and that oh yeah i'm sorry i'll, I'll mm -hmm. request an interview because they just they 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 don't have time to flick through them properly mm, there's another problem skim. as well they just skim so scan 
Yeah, so I guess it's uh, also still uh, correct. So um, people really, uh, so making a CV today is an art because you need to understand the same like website. We scan, scan website because our time is so limited. So also the CVs really need to point, uh, they shouldn't be a life story. It should be uh, really specific to a job and really specify uh, the yeah. still the keywords, even for uh, not for a computer, but for a person. If you need someone in quality and yeah. um, and some quality system, just use the important words from your so, experience. Well, and, and this is and this is some of the consultation that I pass on to candidates that I engage with. Is that that look? I I know that you have this experience, and we can discuss it. But you're going to have to send me a more detailed CV. You're going to have to highlight these things. Because I know if I submit them, mm -hmm. and it may be HR sometimes, because HR are just looking for keywords. I know if I submit them, if it's not in there, they will assume you don't have it. Yeah. So maybe the manager and the, the person who hires you would understand because you use some, uh, because they understand that from your position that you know it. But the HR that they just said, uh, does the first uh, uh, review, they would just uh, throw it away because they look for the they keywords. Don't. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that is also something that a consultant has to differentiate, whether it's between HR and, and, and um, the hiring manager so that you can consult on that and identify that. But I think that what we strive for is to eradicate as much as that as possible, as much as that confusion as possible. Because when we interview candidates, we interview them on questions such as, you know, location, do they have restrictions and financial restrictions or, you know, notice periods or, or if they can relocate. Mm -hmm. And usually, you know, that there are back again to the different priorities that people have and different situations that you can provide for them. But it also allows us to consult them on those factors as well as like, because they may have expectations for that are unrealistic. If say if they live in a remote, remote location and, and they can't relocate, but yet they're expecting to work for Pfizer who are on the other side of the country, you'd be like, well, you have to reconsider your expectations. because It's not going to happen because you're not going to be able to relocate there. And I think that service is also something that AI cannot provide mm. because it's not, it's nowhere near advanced enough for any industry to be advising on anything. So one thing that we can also add is consultation on limitations or restrictions. And that all comes through being a local specialist as well, an industry specialist. So say if they want to move into Say if they're in generics or in small molecules, and yet they want to move into large molecules, if they're in quality, that may be very difficult for them to do so because the manufacturing is very difficult. But you can argue that the GMP compliance is the same, quality systems similar, it's just a different manufacturing facility and environment. So you can advise them on that, but it is difficult. And I think people see value in that as well, because one thing that is clear, people don't have time to do it themselves. They just don't. And they may not see or know or are aware of different avenues that they could go down because they just don't have time to think about it. They're mm. so busy with their current job, yeah. they just don't have time. And that's something that we can also advise them on is just understanding their situation and where they would like to be in the future. We go back to the QP topic. If somebody wants to be a QP in Germany, you have to have two years experience of a QC lab. Now, if you if you want to be a QP and you've only ever done QA, you have to tell that person, well, unless you get two years experience in the QC lab, you, you can't become a QP. And then I think they get some kind of clarity on that because if you know you can't do it then you know then you're you're going to have to change your expectations which is another thing that we can advise them on or if someone wants to become a qp but they don't know how to i said well well what have you asked internally what options are available to you internally and so well i've asked all these questions and nothing's come back and i'm feeling frustrated I'm like, well have you thought about 
contacting different companies or have you even been taught to on how to become a QP? Do you know what avenue you need to go to? Now, I know that this client, Y, are looking for people with your background to hire as a QP. And they may never have heard of that company because not many people mm. know of all the companies as well. So that's also an insight that we can give into the different competitors in the region they may never have heard of as well. Mm. It's just about setting your value and your purpose from the beginning. So yeah. it kind of brings us full circle to, yeah. to the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. So that's so. A, another good value of the recruiters that they know more companies, they know uh, the little tweaks that uh, a person needs uh, to do. So a good um, con um, consultant would also help with the CV in yeah. effect. Yeah. yeah, and also we have a vested interest to, for it to be successful. Yeah, so you get and, paid for it. So, of course, uh, you, you want them to succeed. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the more we can help our candidates to put them in the best possible position through interview preparation, the stronger it puts us in as a team for that client to want to hire that person. And if we are helping that candidate to prepare, then obviously we want to ensure that the client is getting the best candidate. So we put all these measures in place to make sure that we differentiate between the serious candidates and the non-serious candidates. And the non-serious candidates usually don't like it when we turn around to them and say, well, we're not willing to work with you anymore because you aren't serious. We appreciate you're busy and you have a job, but our job is not to find you a job. That's the first and foremost. It's not to find you a job. Our job essentially is to find the best job for the best person and the best person for the best job. So we have, a, we have an agreement with the client. So first and foremost, we, we have to find the best candidate for the client. But we do that in a way where we are networking with a pocket of candidates that we can use with different clients. So we're offering each candidate that we work with multiple options so that they can compare and that they can see what may be the best option rather than just working with four or five candidates for one position, that doesn't make financial sense for us as a business or for them as a candidate because we're not offering them the best value by just offering them one position. We advise and we do encourage candidates to have multiple choices. Yeah. And usually they do because you're all smart people. You know, People realize that if this isn't the right job for me, there may be others. And we also have to identify if it's not the right job, what could be better? Mm -hmm. And we also have to be strong in our own assessment by saying and acknowledging that, no, you're probably, this is probably not the right opportunity. Let's forget it. And let's mm -hmm. focus on something else. Mm -hmm. And I think candidates are also find that refreshing. Yeah. Because and they I don't think feel it's pressured. Good because I, sometimes I think uh, this is what uh, uh, sometimes is, uh, misses for this relationship. They're saying, no, I think uh, this is not a good job for you. Because many, as uh, we talked about in the beginning, many recruiters uh, and consultants would uh, just yeah. say, yeah, just send just me the CV, it. you're perfect, uh, yeah. we'll get it done, and then just time waste for, their, uh, for the business, for the uh, recruiter. It's a waste of time for the candidate and for the, uh, the company that you, they just need to scroll uh, off those. Uh, and they, they also see that the recruiter is not serious because he has no idea. Yeah, and that's, when you, and that's when you know if you're speaking to a serious recruiter or not, because they have listened to you and they have recognized that this is not the right opportunity. It's like putting a square peg through a round hole. Mm. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. So by identifying that and mm. getting to know your candidates and recognizing that this isn't right, you should be advising them. Look, you're not, you're going to hate it here. Let's find, let's find you something else. Mm. And if you are a specialist and you network, you'll be able to find the multiple options. Now, it might not always be the same one or the same area. It may be something that may you may need to reconsider to, you know, focus on going an extra an hour in commute. Not ideal, but the job content should be enough for that kind of thing. It might be interesting. Um, but there are always different limitations depending on other factors that we've recognized before in terms of the sparsity of the 
opportunities by local companies or whether you have you know, restrictions x y and z so it, it it can get quite complicated sometimes but it is quite simple in finding the right job for the right person essentially yeah. uh, i have a list a question for you uh, before we uh, wrap it up uh, so there is this um stigma or uh, this understanding that uh, or this taboo that uh, maybe can be broken that uh, a, a person should stay at a company at least like three years is it uh, correct so back to the point earlier about changes in the re- the recruitment of of professionals and the benefits that that companies can add there's also been a change in views on what you would call the actual length of time you've worked there personally from my experience gone are the days where candidates who've been there for 10-15 years are what people want companies some companies are still naive to that fact that it has changed where candidates themselves want to test themselves in different environments and also hiring managers also want to see people who have experienced different environments what has been apparent is with different changing work environments there have been different challenges which means if you have a candidate who's only worked in one environment and they've never experienced a different culture it's very difficult to develop a new culture or to integrate different cultures as the life science industry develops and it grows and becomes ever more international there is always a more there's always a focus on a more international environment now i'm not saying that is true for every company there are smaller companies or more traditional companies who have more traditional methods that's absolutely fine but when you look at companies who are growing and developing and and have ambitions to have have regional international and global exposure it is clear that you need an international team and you don't have to have a team full of people from different nationalities what i mean to say is that people like to have different experiences of different cultures because there is a very different culture in the way the americans run business the way europeans run business further still the way uk culture is to german culture is very different a very different culture between netherlands and germany and then you think of like asian culture and it, and that in itself is a challenge and if you're looking at leadership or senior level if you have understood or if, if you have experience different cultures it broadens your mindset it gives you different understandings of the way things can work differently and as you can see now with the collaboration with different companies and the fight for a vaccine for covid-19 there's always going to be benefits from different cultures and resources combining because people have different ideas the way things can be done can be done differently by sharing resources and collaborating that's as a historical fact in all industries when companies have collaborated some of the most ingenious things have come out of it in terms of recruitment and from a professional point of view you also have to be careful that you don't get labeled a job hopper or that you have instability that you ha- jump from job to job because you can't because you want to increase your salary for example so how to balance it correctly it's hard to balance it correctly but usually between 2 to 3 years is a good time to be in a company can be 4 can be 5 if you'd go above 5 then companies could see it that you're too institutionalized or that you may not be able to adapt to a different culture and again coming back to the comment earlier of what is the feedback that we've had on candidates culture is a big thing if you can't add to the culture you don't have to fit in but if you can't add to the culture if you can't drive to the achievements that they're looking to drive to and contribute to that there's no point hiring that person we have a saying in epm of our culture from a, a from a 
commercial point of view on us as a business is how we can how can we make the boat go faster and it's an analogy from a rowing team from i think uh, steve redgrave about how you can get everyone in the boat to row simultaneously as much as the next person to make it go faster and that is a great analogy in your professional career because as long as you can recognize how your specific role helps contribute to other factors and that you're not letting colleagues die that you're not hindering the development or the progress of the team the unit the department the whole business you think of it as a real minuscule point then all these factors are taken into consideration and for people who've been in and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with this at all if you've been in your current position for 10 15 years all i'm saying is that there are concerns from a recruitment perspective that that individual may not be able to develop or adapt or change you see it in mergers and acquisitions now this is a this is a classic example of different cultures merging and people cannot adapt because they may have been in that specific position or that specific for culture for 10 15 years then all of a sudden a very German culture has been overtaken by an American company and they're instilling an American culture. It can be chaos. It can be really challenging. And obviously that is an extreme point, but what people see in the value of that is how they can adapt. We mentioned it earlier, how you can be agile, how you can respond to situations and scenarios. It's relative to all industries as we see the technology development the speed it's developing is changing attitudes and changing the way we work and interact and it's not just me and you speaking over skype no it's changing the way all of industries are changing there's a real focus at the minute on patient data and healthcare data and how we can harness data to help prevent the development of diseases or the development of heart attacks, etc. how you can harness that. And it's just reflective of the way the world is changing and the mm-hmm. speed of it's changing. And if you can show that you can change and you can develop and you can be successful in different companies and different environments, it just shows that if you were to join a different company, you'd be able to adapt. You'd be able to contribute and actually offer a different insight because they may not understand a certain point of view, but if you look at it in a different perspective and you have a different answer, but you've been able to solve the problem, then everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so really, it's beneficial. Yeah. So it's really similar to uh, being an auditor in a pharmaceutical environment that, that goes and visits many companies. Yes. He uh, gets a lot of experience, a lot of information that uh, can be later used and uh, learned and uh, brought to other companies. And uh, I think it's really good point that people who yeah. uh, visit and work in different environments, they uh, bring a lot of value uh, to uh, to new companies, uh, much more than if somebody worked in one company for 15 years. And yes. uh, he brings uh, probably a lot of experience but um, in a really closed environment. And he may be a bit uh, uh, routine-blinded in many areas. And uh, he may come to a new company and say, oh, that's not how we did it. it it's probably wrong. Yeah, exactly. And also, it, it, it limits friction. Because if you have a culture clash, then that is obviously going to be impact efficiency. Mm, yeah. But if you have an open culture and people are engaging and collaborating and discussing different ways of working or different mm. narratives, then as we mentioned earlier about the companies collaborating on a vaccine for COVID-19, mm. your company can only benefit from that. Yeah. It can only become much more efficient. Yeah. It can only become much more transparent for people to work there. And people probably feel more safe and secure because they have an open platform where they know that they're not going to be shouted at or yeah. criticized mm. for having a different opinion. 
you know you're actually encouraging different values and different uh, different ways of working and that can only be beneficial and people grow from that so 100 100 i agree with you 100 that it's great uh, i think it's a great message uh, for uh, uh, multicultural environments and uh, knowledge sharing and uh, yeah. it, it helps uh, the pharma Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not saying that if you've been in your job for three years, you have to change. I'm not saying you could do that. If you do have a job and you've been there for ten years and you absolutely love it, yeah, stay that's there. all that matters. Like, that's all that matters. As long as you love it. But if you have ambitions to mm -hmm. become a corporate and VP and and international, mm -hmm. these are all the different traits. If you don't have that ambition and that and that's not your objective, that doesn't matter. As long as you what whatever you do, as long as you can say at the end of each day that you love what you yeah. do and you have a real passion love and it process. gets you out and it gets Not you out of chip. bed every morning exactly it gets you out of bed every single morning yeah. and it makes you happy that is all that matters and that's and that's what i strive for as well because i may be a recruiter or a headhunter but i do love my job and i love working with people who love their job people are so passionate about what they do and when i'm able to find them something that they love and they find and they and they are actually overjoyed that they have this opportunity i am so enthralled it makes my job so worthwhile knowing that we've been able to open up a new door for someone and can make them happy or giving them something that they never even knew that they could have and it's such a it's difficult to describe difficult to describe but it, it that's what gets me out of bed every morning yeah. um and that's why i love what i do perfect yeah so that's uh, an amazing message so i think it's uh, the uh, perfect message uh, and um, the passion and the, uh, that you love what you do and that uh, your mission is uh, to bring people uh, to their uh, dream work so they yeah. can wake up with a smile so this is a, an amazing yeah. message so thank you very much for sharing all the, this information with you and uh, tell me if uh, people want to uh, get in touch with you uh, how can they do it uh, what is the best way so the best way is is email please email me my email is uh, matthew.lancaster at epmscientific.com or they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am more than happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I'm not as responsive on LinkedIn. I have to recognize that I am not the best, but email is always the best way to contact me. Uh, but I am trying to be better on LinkedIn, um, <laughs> but I am easily accessible. I'm more than happy to network with people if they want any advice or careers. One thing I would know is that I do get a lot of requests. I can't answer everyone. Um, but I do try and get through as many as possible. Perfect. So thank you very much.